Phil Daffy, uh, Reverend Phil Daffy, a member of uh, Presbytery, a minister at uh, Malvern, and former interim moderator here for uh, a while before I came in for the last couple of weeks, is going to uh, bring the readings from God's Word. Thanks. Thank you, Barry. Um, <clears throat> yes, as God is good, it's delightful to be here tonight for John's induction and to celebrate with you. There are two readings this evening. The first is from Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 1 to 6, the righteous branch. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pasture, where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them, and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he shall be called, the Lord, our righteous saviour. And reading again from 2 Corinthians 11, verse 16 to chapter 12, and verse 10, <clears throat> Paul boasts about his sufferings. I repeat, let no one take me for a fool. But if you do, then tolerate me just as you would a fool, so that I may do a little boasting. In this self-confident boasting, I am not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. You will gladly put up with fools, since you are so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you, or exploits you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs and slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we, we were too weak for that. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, 
in danger at the sea, in danger from false believers. I have laboured and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Aretas had the city of the Damascenes guarded in order to arrest me, but I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. Paul's vision and his thorn. I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool, because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Amen, and may God add his blessing to these readings of his holy word. Well, what a great privilege it is for me to be here tonight. Uh, I think I first met John uh, quite a long time ago at an MTS training conference here in Melbourne. And then uh, I had the privilege of of taking the church camp just uh, a few weeks ago. And it was such an encouragement to me to see what God's doing amongst you. And uh, I feel really privileged to be here tonight on this occasion. And I thought I'd speak from the New Testament passage, 2 Corinthians. And um, particularly I want you to look at, um, well, we look at all these verses, but not every one of them, um, because there's quite a lot of them. But verse 16, uh, Paul says, Accept me as a fool, 
think that's a good, a good text for an induction, isn't it? <laughs> I'm not sure if this is the charge to the congregation or to the minister. Accept me as a fool, he says. Let me speak like an idiot. I hope you don't mind. It's the only hope I have of getting through to you and showing you just how stupid you are. Imagine starting a sermon like that. I know I just did. <laughs> Not to insult you, but to get you to see Paul's logic in these verses. You see, the only way to get through to a fool is to speak like a fool. It's the only language uh, that they seem to understand. And so Paul says, verse 16, chapter 11, Accept me as a fool, so I too may boast a little. So what I want us to do tonight is just go along with his foolishness for a, a short time and then we'll try and draw some lessons from it. So first of all, let's, let's follow Paul's foolishness. Look at verse 17. What I say in this matter of boasting, he says, I don't speak as the Lord would, but foolishly. Remember those what would Jesus do bracelets uh, that people used to wear? Well, Paul is saying Jesus would never do this. He's clearly very uncomfortable about doing it, but he's going to boast. Understand, he says, I'm messing with your minds here. I'm playing, uh, I, I'm, playing, um, I'm playing you at your own game. You, Corinthi you Corinthians like to boast. You're impressed by boasters. So let me boast, he says. Uh, let me impress you with my credentials. And so he hands out his CV. Now, if you're going to write a CV, of course, you have to boast. Um, boasting is good. You have to put absolutely everything you can think of into your CV. You, you have to uh, sell yourself. And so you highlight your strengths and you, uh, you disguise your weaknesses, don't you? Sometimes people get carried away, like the secretary who claimed in her CV that she could type at 756 words a minute which is about 13 words a second. Or the accountant who, uh, whose 43-page CV included a reference from his scout leader, his first aid certificate, and a photograph of his wife and child. Well, Paul says, I want to impress you. Let me show you my CV. Uh, take a good look at it, he says, and compare it, compare it with the other applicants who are after my job in Corinth, the so-called super apostles uh, and he in verses 22 to 29 he gives us his CV he's been beaten flogged shipwrecked thrown into prison gone without food and water and would you give this guy a job uh, he wouldn't get past the safe ministry uh, credentials would he he wouldn't pass that check would you make him your minister? Would you put him on the ministry team of your church? You wouldn't hire a guy like this in a million years, would you? But before you toss his CV into the bin, take a good look at it, because this is what authentic Christian ministry looks like. It's not muscular Christianity. That, that is sometimes how these verses are taken, aren't they? Uh, especially in men's meetings and, and boys' camps. You know, if you want a bit of adventure, you know, if you want a bit of an adrenaline rush, uh, shipwreck, travel, uh, 
But Paul isn't Bear Grylls. Uh, neither is he Eddie the Eagle. He's not saying in these verses, well, look how hopeless I am. <laughs> I remember when I was interviewed by the presbytery uh, 50 years ago now in Wales. They asked me why I wanted to go into ministry, and I said, because I, I can't do anything else. And they took that entirely the wrong way. Of <laughs> course, what I meant is that there was a call of God that I couldn't resist. They thought I had tried other jobs, and <laughs> it was a hopeless, hopeless failure to everything I've ever tried. And, well, that's not what Paul is saying here, you see. He was certainly not a failure. He was an extraordinarily successful church planter and evangelist. He was exceptionally gifted by God. He, he talks about himself as being separated from his mother's womb for the work uh, that God has called him to do. He'd brought the Corinthians to faith in Christ. He'd planted the church in Corinth. So what you have here, you see, in Paul's CV, it's not a list of heroics on the one hand, nor is it um, a list of heroic failures on the other hand. So what is it? Humiliations. See, just like Jesus before him, Paul humbled himself. If you want me to boast, Paul says, that's what I'm going to boast about. I'll boast of the things, he says there in verse 30, that show my weakness. And then he gives an example. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I'm not lying, he says. You wouldn't, you wouldn't believe this story. You know, this is such a, such a bizarre story, he says, but I'm not lying. As God's my witness. In Damascus, the governor under King Aretas had the, the city of the Damascenes guarded in order to arrest me. But I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. How undignified is that? He's literally a basket case. How embarrassing. How humiliating. Don't put that in your CV, Paul. What an anticlimax. He rides into Damascus on his high horse with letters of authority to persecute the church, to persecute Christians. And then he's brought down to the ground and he's blinded and then he's bundled into a basket and he has to be lowered over the town wall. Reminds me of that Monty Python skit. Brave Sir Robin ran away, bravely ran away, away. When danger reared its ugly head, he bravely turned his tail and fled. Yes, brave Sir Robin turned about and gallantly he chickened out. Bravely taking to his feet, he beat a very brave retreat. Bravest of the brave, Sir Robin. That's me, says Paul. That's me. He's poking fun at himself, isn't he? And at the same time, he's mocking the success culture of the Corinthian church. He could almost be writing for the Babylon Bee. He's laughing at the spiritual heroics of these so-called super-apostles. And, and you see, this really bursts the bubble of the celebrity culture in so many of our churches today, doesn't it? We're far more Corinthian than we're prepared to admit. Far more concerned with image and status and saving face than we're prepared to admit. Pride 
is a problem for us too, just as it was for them. So that's Paul's logic. Now let's see what we can learn from it. I think there are three things. There are three marks here of authentic Christian ministry. And here they are. Authentic Christian ministry. It's driven by love. It's shaped by the cross. And it's powered by grace. Authentic Christian ministry, ministry, true Christian ministry, is driven by love, not by success. Love isn't proud. Love is not puffed up. A parent who truly loves his kids is not proud is not proud to his kids. He'll be proud of his kids. I'm a grandfather now. I've got four grandchildren. And it's all I can do to stop showing people pictures of my grandchildren. <laughs> I'm proud of them. But, but the, even the, the highest um, uh, flying business executive, the, the person with the highest profile, will get down on the ground and play with his grandkids, won't he? Love isn't proud. Love isn't puffed up. And and that's what Paul is doing here, don't you see? He's playing the fool. He's making a clown of himself out of love for the Corinthians. He says, I know I'm talking like an idiot, but bear with me. You, You gladly put up with fools. In fact, you put up with it, he says, if someone enslaves you, if if someone devours you, if someone captures you, if someone dominates you, if someone hits you in the face. You put up with that sort of thing. That's spiritual abuse big time, isn't it? These super apostles that you listen to on the internet, (laughs) these super apostles with their big meetings and their crowded meetings, do they love you? They've got a funny way of showing it. They exploit you and bully you and take advantage of you and you put up with it. Is that really the kind of leadership that we want in today's church? Compare that with what you read here, you see, in verses 28 and 29. Paul speaks about the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who's weak, he says, and I'm not weak. Who's made to fall, and I'm not indignant. See what he's saying? Ministry is not a nine-to-five job. We don't work office hours. I don't refuse to answer my phone on my day off. I carry you on my heart, he says. You're not my clients. I, I can't keep a professional distance from you. I don't have the detachment of a professional counsellor. Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is made to fall and I'm not indignant? That's the heart of a pastor, isn't it? That's the heart of Christ. There's fellow feeling here. There's empathy. Authentic ministry is not driven by success. It's driven by love. It's it's modelled on Jesus. Who, who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities and who is able to sympathize with us in our weakness. Let me, let me um, share with you this quote from uh, a guy called James Stalker. He was a Scotsman who gave the Yale lecture 
lectures on preaching in 1891. I don't think anybody was around then in this congregation. But this is what he says. It's, listen to this. It's, it's beautiful. He says, when I first settled in a church, I discovered something that nobody had told me, which I had not anticipated. I fell in love with my congregation. It was as genuine a blossoming of the heart as anything which I've ever experienced. It made it easy to do anything for my people. It made it a perfect joy to look them in the face on Sunday morning. I don't know if this is a universal experience, he says, but I should think it's common. For my part, I like to meet a man who thinks his own congregation, however small it may be, the most important one in the church and is rather inclined to bore you with its details. When a man falls in love with his people, the probability is that something of the same kind happens to them likewise. Just as a wife prefers her own husband to every other man, though surely she doesn't necessarily suppose him to be the most brilliant specimen in existence, <laughs> so a congregation will generally be found to prefer their own minister, if he's a genuine man, to every other, although surely not always entertaining the hallucination that he is a paragon of ability. Thus, to love and be loved is the secret of a happy and successful ministry. Authentic Christian ministry is driven by love, not by success. It's driven by love and it's shaped by the cross, not by the culture. David Starling uh, has, has a book out on 1 Corinthians, uh, which came out fairly recently. Uh, and he, 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 in that book, he talks about the Corinthianization of leadership. By, by which he means the uncritical absorption and imitation of the mindset and power structures of the surrounding culture. And he opens the book with an illustration. The man next to you, he says, on the London to Edinburgh train going north, I don't know why he chose that particular railway track, he's an Australian, he lectures in Sydney, uh, but the book must have been published in the UK, I think. And he says, the man sitting next to you uh, on the London to Edinburgh train going north wired up to his laptop and his mobile simultaneously, issuing instructions about hiring, firing, sidelining, expanding here and reducing here, letting so-and-so in on the latest developments, leaving so-and-so out of them, making cautious inquiries concerning new development opportunities, Closing down an unprofitable field before it sinks too many resources. Yes, he may well be a systems manager for an information technology firm, or he may equally well be a Baptist minister. He's a Baptist, so he's allowed to say that. <laughs> Perhaps we should say he might be a Presbyterian minister on his way to the state assembly. See, the, his point is that we are far more Corinthian than we're prepared to admit aren't we, in today's church? Image matters more than substance. You know, getting the lighting right, making, it isn't right here, by the way, I can hardly read my notes. <laughs> <laughs> ah, it's important that the preacher should see his notes. So there is a, there's a point there. <laughs> Having real coffee, I mean, you can't reach the city with instant coffee. And the preaching has to be interesting, doesn't it? And, and inspirational TED Talks rather than sermons. That's how it was in Corinth. That's how it was in Corinth. 
people paid good money to listen to these guys, these super apostles. Christianity in Corinth was shaped by the culture, not by the cross. In fact, truth be told, the cross was a bit of an embarrassment to them. They, they were tempted to, to play it down. They wanted a Christianity more congenial to the mindset of secular Greek society, a gospel that majored on strength, not weakness, on triumph, not tragedy. They wanted to preach Jesus as victor, not as victim. But Paul says, when I came to Corinth, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. See, look at his CV again. What does he boast about? The things that he suffered, the beatings, the floggings, the danger, the discomfort, the deprivation, the long hours, the sleepless nights, the emotional wear and tear of caring for all the churches, suffering, persecution, hardship, failure, opposition, disappointment. It is the way the master went. Shall not the servant tread it still? Welcome to gospel ministry, John. <laughs> Welcome to gospel ministry, says Paul. It's driven by love, not by success. It's shaped by the cross, not by the culture. And then lastly, it's powered by grace, not by pride. Paul's got a story for these super apostles and their followers. They, you know, if they were around today, they'd have shelves and shelves of books, best-selling books in Kurong, about their experiences, their spiritual experiences, and these, you know, some of them would have died and come back to tell the story. I'm sure there are lots of books like that around today, aren't they? Uh, they boasted about these things, their dreams and their revelations. And Paul said, well, I've got a story I can share with you. Verse 2 of chapter 12, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Wow, that'll be a bestseller, won't it? Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I, I don't know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. Now, he doesn't say who he's talking about. But we know who he's talking about, don't we? Because he goes on to say in verse 7, And to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. What is this thorn in the flesh? We, we don't really know. We're not told. There have been all sorts of suggestions, ranging from his mother-in-law uh, to... <laughs> We're, not, we're deliberately not told. It'll be something different for every one of us. It could be a, a physical disability. It could be bad eyesight. It could be bad breath. It might be a besetting sin. It, it might be um, a poor body image. It might be a bad childhood experience. It might be unwanted same-sex attraction. We don't know what it was. Whatever it was, it was something Paul just had to live with. A messenger of Satan, something that, that Satan could, could and would have used to bring him down if God had allowed it. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, he says in verse 8. I don't need it, Lord. Please take it away. But you see, it's exactly what you do need. This thorn in the flesh. You won't be any use in ministry without it. 
It's like Jacob's limp. Do you remember the story of Jacob in the Old Testament in Genesis? Remember how Jacob wrestled with the angel of God and, and he prevailed? And we're told God struck Jacob's hip socket at the thigh muscle and Jacob's hip was put out of joint. And it says he went limping for the rest of his life. And there will be something like that for each and every one of us if we're to have an effective ministry. God will get you limping so that you will learn to lean on him and not on your own natural abilities and giftedness. It's when you're weak and you know that you're weak. It's when you are consciously depending on him. That's when you're strong. That's when God's going to use you. You see, God plays not to our strengths, but to our weaknesses. See what it says, verses 9 and 10, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. For when I am weak, that's when I'm strong. John Stott, some of you will know this story, the late John Stott took a mission to Sydney, Sydney Uni back in 1958. By the last night of the mission, he'd lost his voice. He could hardly talk above a whisper. And there were a thousand people there waiting to hear from him. Before the meeting, he asked the, the people in the prayer room before the meeting to read 2 Corinthians 12. And then they prayed for him. And he came out onto the platform. And this is what he says. He says, I croaked the gospel into the microphone. I was unable to modulate my voice. I couldn't put my personality into it. All I could do was to speak in a monotone into the microphone. And I was asking God to show his power through my weakness. And he did. He says later on in his, in his diary, he said, I've been back to Australia seven or eight times since that mission. And every time someone comes up to me and says, do you remember the night in 1958 when you lost your voice? I came to Christ that night. <laughs> That's it, isn't it? His glory he will not give to another. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. As someone has said, God's address is at the end of your rope. Isn't that right? That's where God shows up when you and I are at the end of our rope. That's authentic Christian ministry. It's driven by love, not by success. It's shaped by the cross, not by the culture. And it's powered by grace, not by pride. Let's pray. Lord, we pray for